Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Welcome to the Nest of Vipers podcast, cultural chit-chat, buy and for, know-it-alls, ne'er-do-wells, and nattering nabobs everywhere. I'm your host, Danny Plotnick. And each week on the show, we have an esteemed panel of blabbermouths telling stories and riffing on some scintillating topics. And today we're going to talk about our most humiliating moments as artists. And let me get right to it, introducing the panelists right here to my left. Not that that means anything to you listening to a podcast. Um, is writer, poet, comedian, gadfly, Bucky Sinister, author of the, uh, of the minor hit book, Whiskey and Robots. And over here we have musician, filmmaker, bon vivant, Kurt Kepler, currently in the band Fierce Antler. Kurt, say hello. Hello, everybody, and I'm pleased to be here. All right. And rounding out our merry band of fundits, as we've uh, come to call them, is uh, musician and Nest of Vipers house engineer Chris Zephos moving from the back line to the front line today. <laughs> and uh, Chris has been in uh, The Moth Wranglers, King Missile, Drop Quarters, and has produced many fine records. About let's not time. forget when people were shorter and lived near the water. Oh, we can't, we can't forget that. <laughs> All right, and just to sort of set the stage for the uh, conversation today is I think one thing that holds true for all artists, no matter how successful, is that at some point you just experience a horrifically embarrassing moment in public, be it some show or appearance that goes horribly wrong. And of course, the great thing about that, it usually happens in front of hundreds of people, if you're lucky, because you're always hoping hundreds of people are going to be there. But then that moment when things go horribly wrong, you kind of wish that maybe nobody had shown up. Right. And speaking of nobody showing up, we will start with Mr. Sinister right oh, here. Thank you. Well, mine is uh, takes place in Albuquerque, New Mexico, during the uh, Albuquerque Poetry Festival, which uh, kind of before the poetry slam scene really took off, it was really the biggest gathering every year of bar poets and underground poets from what, what across the country. This? It was about 98, I think. Yeah, and uh, it, it was like this big thing. It was like kind of like Sturgis for poets, right? Like all the... All the, uh, Sturgis? What's yeah, yeah. Sturgis? Sturgis is the big the big biker rally every year is in, in Sturgis. South Dakota. It's kind of like that. It's like all the poets that kind of descend upon upon Albuquerque. And we just uh, on rate, scooters? We, uh, well, <laughs> anyway, we get there. Yeah, anyway, we get there, and it would just like you know, it would just kind of raise hell for a week, and it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I knew a lot of people, a lot of these people who had come through the Chameleon over the years, and where I was uh, hosting readings. Uh, would all see me there, and that's uh, a low life bar in San Francisco. Yeah, for those and, of you uh, unfamiliar with that so, reference, since I didn't get to tour much, uh, you know that was the one time they'd see me somewhere else. So everybody would, you know, just really treat me to parties and drinks and whatnot. You know, everybody's coming to see me, and it's like, uh, hey, let's you know do a shot. Let me get you a drink. And uh, so about about eight o'clock or something, when everyone's just having their first drink, I'm already kind of plastered. Is this eight a.m. or p.m. <laughs> oh, oh, this, oh! I was, I was kind of, I kind of stayed drunk there for about a week. Like every week, I just kind of like stay, stay high or drunk or something the whole time. This particular night, it was one of those things where I was the really drunk guy first. Like I was, there was only one really <laughs> drunk guy in the bar, and it was me. And uh, they're trying to have like the opening night festivities with. Uh, I'm not sure who else was there, but I do remember Adam Parfrey was there. Uh, he's a publisher of Feral House, and uh, he was reading out of a. Wait, that's your culture. that's your publisher, isn't it? 
No, no, and it probably never will be. Oh. <laughs> so you hear the rest of the story. Uh, I'm not even really sure if he remembers it was me, but uh, well, I'll be but, sure. Uh, I'll be sure to email. He was reading. To yeah, he was this. reading out of Apocalypse Culture, and I, I really think to this day I, I really like, ascertain that he was that he was bombing. That he was just that people were like kind of getting up and walking away, and he was reading from like the, the kind of the boring parts of the book. I mean, he really took it as great, exciting book. And uh, really was reading, like, just killing it. He was dying. And, yeah, yeah. He's not, like, a performer. He's a publisher. So that's fine. But uh, I, I kept, I was, like, yelling out parts of the book to read from. And Parfree at one point makes it makes a fatal mistake of saying, hey, if you got something to say, why don't you come up here and say it? Oh, Which no. is, like, kind of, like, bluffy. It's called bluffing the heckler. And, like, you don't really want to do it because there's too many times when, like, someone will take the microphone away from you. And, and especially if it's, like, some kind of a-hole like me. Like, you won't get it back. And that's precisely what happened. I was like, okay, you drunk know, fine, I'll come like up you. there. Like, mm. And uh, it was one of those things, too, that, like, I've been drinking at this table for a while. I call these multiple shots of people that were just keep bringing me. Had so, you stood up in a while? No, no. See, that's the thing. And so I, I stand up, and I'm like, oh, crap. And I go to settle. <laughs> I, I kind of go to settle my hand on, on a table. Oh. It's one of those kind of tall tables. And it spills. It knocks over the whole table and spills all the drinks on me. I wear this light gray shirt, and it's just covered. It's sort of like and, a uh, to be like drinking a Long Island iced yeah, tea. It's, it's got it's got a t-shirt. Not only that, it's a t-shirt of, of Bucky the Badger, the, the Wisconsin mascot. And uh, it, it says FM Bucky. So it's like not only does it have an expletive of my name on it, it's also covered in, in you know, Cosmos or whatever. <laughs> and I went up there and, and I got on the, the microphone and, and no one else like cut me off. And I just kept going. Not only did I take up all of Parfrey's time, I took up all the next guy's time too. And... Oh Mm -hmm. I was just, I was riffing, and I think a lot of people were just Well, the frightened. great thing is that if this had happened in Sturgis, someone would have probably just come up there and kind of yeah, hit it, you with a tire iron. Well, if it had happened on Valencia Street at the time, it would that would have happened too. I mean, we were kind of, <laughs> we were kind of playing mission rules, and it was just like, look, if you want me off, like, you know, you got, you better take me off. Right. And uh, that was kind of like how things worked on Guerrero Street and Albion Street and, and, you know, like other poetry readings in the mission. And, like, no one there really knew what to do. It wasn't so embarrassing at the time because I was I was hammered and I thought I was great. <laughs> but what's embarrassing is that someone was videotaping the Everything looks thing. a little better with yeah. the bear goggles someone on. Someone was videotaping the whole thing and that tape passed around like it was like, you know, Shatner singing Rocket Man. Or the two bar. <laughs> yeah, it went around the country. This tape went around the country before finally someone lost it. You know, if it had been, if this had happened today, it would have been YouTube like right away and I never would have gotten rid of this thing. It, it, it was years people were willing like, hey, I saw a video of you. Uh, like I would meet somebody and they would be like, not like, uh, hey, I read your book. It was great. It was like a, Hey, I saw a video of you uh, yelling at Parfree, and I was like, oh, <laughs> "It's like being on America's Funniest Home Videos." Yeah, getting hit in the nuts. Yeah, like really, I got hit in the nuts. It's like you know what? By I, a I, cat. I, Someone I, threw the cat at your nuts. Yeah, 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 totally. It's like you know, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I won the Nobel Peace Prize for curing. Uh, I cured AIDS and uh, cancer uh, with the same thing, you know, using only peanut butter and duct tape. And uh, but what I'm going to be remembered for is yeah, the cat jumping on my face and, and getting hit with a wiffle ball bat in the nuts. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know. But well, were you any good on stage? I, you know, I, I wasn't. I wasn't that <laughs> night, and that, that's the that's the whole shame of it. If I could have really gone up there and really sold it, and uh, you know, turned it around, it would be embarrassing. It would be like, see, I'm a genius. But that's why it's embarrassing. It was because not only was it a horrible performance, but it was caught on video. And there, there are many more horrible performances. Sure, I just don't have to cop to them really because uh, no one, there's no proof that's 
definitely it. There, there are there are many there are many small ones. There are many small ones like uh, like somebody had my book one time and said, oh, you know, brought it to a reading. And said I, I really like your book. I said, do you want me to sign it for you? He's like, uh, no, you already signed it for my sister, and you also put your phone number in there. <laughs> we're trying to pick her up in the uptown. Like, by giving her a bug, I was like, uh, it, it. yeah, I might have done that. Yeah, it's just the embarrassment shared by me and, like, one or two other people. But that one's like, the, the Albuquerque night was shared by hundreds, if not thousands, through the magic of home video. <laughs> but there was only one tape? I, as far as I know. I, you know, and, and it's gone. I mean, I mean people weren't that stupid in 1998. You wouldn't just send the tape. You'd make a dub. There are no, more I, out there is what I'm I saying. I think this is going to resurface. You know, it it could very well resurface. I mean, I always think about it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things Like you know, it's, it's, maybe, maybe one of the listeners to this podcast yeah, may yeah, have actually, it. Totally. You know, and, and yeah, I don't like, I'll forget about it. in 20 years from now, I'll show up on YouTube. You know, it will. Like, it'll, you know, show up in, you know, the YouTube Maybe more like 20, 20 minutes from yeah, now. Yeah, 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 totally. It's, it's already been taken down. You know, it's just, I don't really think that, like, people did copy it, really, like, because uh, it was it was the poets, they could barely, like, you know, photocopy a chapbook back then. So it's just like, you know, if they if they put staples on only one side of the book, they were doing well. <laughs> right. so they staple every side of the book shut. And uh, that, that's kind of more who we were dealing with. You know, all the, all the, uh, the guy who used to shoot in the chameleon all the time who uh, brought his video camera for many many weeks shot all the uh, footage in there he disappeared one day and, and we found uh, me and Tommy Stolmar were in the uptown one night and we're <laughs> we're yapping away and this guy says uh, oh you guys are poets and we're like oh yeah we're like ready to fight or whatever and I go you know, well, what is it? Where is it we didn't know where it was going like people say that like you, you still don't know really how to take it and uh, he goes oh maybe you knew my dad and we're like who's your dad and he's like oh my dad's uh, this guy and we're like oh man do you know how to get in touch with him and he's like well you know what he, he shot himself on Christmas uh, a couple years ago and we're like oh that's why we hadn't seen him you know after we talked to him for a while I said you know maybe it doesn't look like anything to you but it would mean a lot to me he like has this he has all these videotapes and it just looks like a bunch of idiots rambling on but it would really be great if I could get those and I'll copy them and get them back to you or whatever or I'll pay like a service to have them all compiled into one thing and he just got this weird look on his face and I, I kept trying to sell it like maybe he doesn't want to give them to me or whatever he was and then, holding out for some money yeah yeah I didn't know what he was thinking and then he says uh, my dad never had uh, tape in his camera <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, oh, that was just his way of fitting into the world. Like, he felt really uncomfortable like out, out in public. So if he had a camera that was that had a little red light on, no one would talk to him. Uh, you know, that's how he viewed the whole world through that camera, but he never recorded anything. You needed him in Albuquerque. Wow. Yeah, video yeah, totally, taping. totally. That's, see, that's, that's the kind of people we were dealing with. So that whole idea that they even taped it, that they were able to make the tape happen is enough on its own. All right. Chris Zephos, can you uh, can you top that? Well, actually, uh, there are two different stories that I was thinking of. There was one story that was somewhat humiliating to me, but then there's another story that was more humiliating to my bandmate at the time. So... I don't know which one. Which story do you think I should go with? I well, which really bandmate? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's as tempted as I am. I'm gonna go with let's embarrass you. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is about you. And if he dies, then he dies on that one. He can switch to the other other story. You're right. If, if, okay. if it's bombing, right? If it's bombing. Bucky <laughs> runs over there, punches you out, and grabs the microphone. We'll go to the other one. Okay, that's fine. So King Missile, the band I was playing in at the time. This was 1993. I uh, was playing a gig in Seattle. And just to kind of run up to the gig in Seattle, uh, a few days before, we played in Bozeman, Montana. 
And then from Bozeman, we drove directly to Seattle. And I drove. How far of a drive is that? It's like 10 hours. Yeah, it's 10 hours. Exactly. So I I drove that whole thing. And then I went out that night. I was like, I'm in Seattle. I've got to go out. You know, so I was like up late. And then the next day we played in Vancouver. So we had to get up early to do a border crossing, that whole thing. And then from Vancouver, we drove back to Seattle after the gig because we had a hotel room in Seattle. So... So then, by the you time know, the we, Canadian dollar goes pretty far. You could probably got a pretty nice place in Vancouver for half the cost. I know, I know, but but we decided, had decided to camp out in Seattle and have our sort of base in Seattle for that period of time. So again, it was another really late night. So here we are, like you know, three days later, and I haven't had much sleep. We were playing at this big, huge place, and the band that was opening for us was a very popular band in Seattle. So they, all of their fans, Nirvana. Yeah, well, <laughs> it wasn't Nirvana, but. <laughs> Was it cat butt? Yeah, right. Soundgarden. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were really popular in Seattle. Cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't cat. It wasn't cat. Screaming trees. No, no, no. It was this band called Hammerbox. And yeah, it would have taken us a while again. There was though. a lot of hammer bands. Right. And exactly. hammer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like claw hammer. And, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they were one of the hammer bands. Hammerhead. You know, and then they were one of the box bands too, because there was Candlebox, and oh, Hammerbox. Yeah, yeah. You know, so Hammer, Garden. so so Hammerbox had all their fans there, and it was an all ages show. So it was an all ages show. So there was tons of kids. So there were a lot there. of underage drunks there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did they have a radio hit? Hammerbox? No, Hammerbox never had a radio yeah. hit. But again, they were. You know, I mean, the Seattle scene is this kind of weird sort of insular scene where people in Seattle just love music, and that's why you know when it ended up going national. You know, it just sort of made sense because people always just go to see bands there. There's this culture of going out to see music. And a lot of underage shows, the all-ages shows, too. <laughs> underage shows. Yeah. Sorry. Your specialty. Yeah. You have to be under 18 to get in here. You but, must be under. Right. One of those things with a, with a hand. Like, you must be under. There's tall to get into this show. Right. Exactly. So, so anyway, so with all this all-ages crowd, you know, there's a lot of excited, you know, teenagers. And, you know, here I am, you know, the, the grumpy guy who hasn't slept in three days, you know. At, at the time, we were kind of touring on our big hit. So, you know, there was a lot of people out to see us. Detachable penis. Yes, thank you very much. So, there, it was. And we were so trying to keep the language clean. <laughs> hey, you could say that word on the radio. Okay, you good. It's fine. That's, that's why it was that, such a big hit. You're right, all right. You know, because you could say that word. Would that be penis? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, the weird thing about this place was that I remember the stage not being that big. The weird thing about the stage was is that the, the, across the back of the stage was corrugated tin. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a sort of like you know, sort of like a aesthetic Industrial, thing. Yeah. It was the the sound bouncing off yeah. of that corrugated right. tin was unreal. Yeah, and the you tin know? itself will just vibrate. You know, I I was having a really hard time. Uh, plus, after not sleeping for three days, it was just making me insane. About. Three or four songs into the set, you know, the kids are, of course, like, slamming around, like, you know, having a great time, you know, doing, you know, they're all excited. I love that there'd be a pit for King Missile. Oh, yeah, there was, yeah, there was pits. Steal stuff from work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were, yeah, 93, there was a pit for anything. Yeah, like, you know, absolutely. Like, it is what you turn the PA on, the pit. Yeah. Song, you know? uh-huh. The hum. Yeah, 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 totally. There were pits at Jesus Jones concerts. Well, yeah, well, I mean, in fact, that, that was at our first show in Seattle in, in 91, there was, like, a pit. I'm like... Whoa! What's going on here? Yeah. So there, there was, you know, there was that happening and whatever. Like, and it was probably like the maybe even the third song in something like, like that. Some kid jumped up onto the stage and took my set list. 
right? <laughs> and I'm not going to wait for the show to end. Right, exactly. When I'm, everyone's going to be trying to take the set list, I'm getting it now. Right? So the kid jumps up, takes the set list, right? Now, at this point, we had been on this tour. And, I mean, it was... Uh, you know, so it was you should have known the set list, th- This was... Um, actually, this was April. In fact, I remember the day... It was the day they raided the Koresh... Uh, that whole oh, the, the Branch Davidian yeah it was that day so that would have been like April in 93 mm-hmm. and we had been on tour since February of 93 so we were like you know so that's and, two months yeah and okay. you know in, in that in that time period too I you know I broke up with my boyfriend I had all this stuff like happening it was just like but you know we were having this big hit with the song that I hated and this like <laughs> you know this whole thing it was just like you know just making me crazy that's when you can go postal right exactly but we had been on tour since February and we were basically playing the same set so I really didn't need the set list the fact that this kid like jumped up and took the set list right and my whole thing of everything kind of like crashing down at that point, in, at the end of that song that we were doing, I just like went into my microphone. I said, give me back that set list. I need it. Mm-hmm. Like right at that kid. And um, the whole place stopped. <laughs> and looked. everybody on stage looked at me. Everybody out in the audience looked at me. And this little kid was like, like kind of crept back to the stu- stage and like put the set list back in front of me. Then I realized what an idiot I was and then half the audience left. Oh, nice. I mean, not right, not right after that, but really from that point on, people started leaving and leaving and leaving until finally by the end of the set, there was definitely half the people there that were there when we started. And, you know, I kind of sort of attributed it to my little... Like tantrum. meltdown, yeah, your hissy yeah, fit. My, yeah, exactly. And I felt really horrible. Did the rest of the band think so? Were they riding? Uh, the rest no, the they really, they no, they they really didn't because I I did stupid stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, pull them back, grumpy. You know, exactly. You know, did anyone come to your defense on stage? No, no, definitely not. But I I knew that they were all looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> And you it was know. one of them underage kids too, right? Yeah, yeah how exactly. Old, yeah, how old yeah, was no, this kid? He, he must have been like sixteen or seventeen. I mean, not even. He was like a small kid. Whatever. Yeah. You know, there's a tear in his eye. I love this band. I know exactly. I mean, I thought I, I, like I broke this kid's heart, and yeah. then like, you know, like what? What did I just but do? But you felt really lousy when he died of leukemia about a year later. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I only yeah, wanted like, a set list from that show. Yeah. Yeah. The Make a Wish people were like, "Dear King Missile, thanks a lot, jerks." <laughs> His one wish is to come see the attachable penis live. And then, of course, you know, next time we play in Seattle, we play at the 21 and over place. And then, like, and it's not well attended. So, and, and this guy comes back, he's huge. And he's like, Remember me? I was that kid you told on stage. You hurt my feelings. <laughs> he like, looks like uh, the like guy Cape Fear. He's just been like, you know. Also, that's The Incredibles, too. That's the, uh, the storyline in The Incredibles, too. So. <laughs> he's been lifting weights. Like listening to uh, you know detachable penis right. over Only and over. <laughs> I'll show them. <laughs> I'm going to turn John Hall into a little girl. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, very good. Well, I'll, I guess I will. Um, I'll dig into mine. And, oh, and, super. And then uh, and then we'll go to Kurt. So my story also um, also takes place in Canada. We went to Canada there for a minute. 
yeah, years no, at some yeah. point. Uh, and, and back in the mid-90s, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> no wait, no. This is the late '90s. I'm going with this is maybe 1999. Well, no, back in the back in the mid '90s. I mean, I'm a filmmaker, and my thing, one of my things was I made Super Eight films. I was the Super Eight guy. That was sort of my, uh, you know, that was my expertise. And in the late '90s, a festival in Toronto kicked up called the Splice This Film Festival. There was a Super Eight, uh, a Super Eight fest. And in their first year of existence, they asked me to write the program notes for their catalog. And they got a lot of recommendations uh, for films to show from me. And, uh, you know, it looked like a good festival. And in their second year, they invited me out to be the special guest. You know, so they were going to fly me to Toronto to be the special guest of the festival, which essentially entailed being on a panel. I was going to show one really old film and be on a panel. And I just got to that point in my life where I, I was maybe making enough money and I was getting old enough that I said, I'm never flying a red eye again. I'm willing to pay the extra $25 to not get on a flight at 10 p.m. and arrive somewhere at 5 in the morning. And so when they booked my ticket, they booked me on the red eye. Um, and I'm like, you know, I hate to be a prima donna, but can I, can I not go on the red eye? And they're like, well, you know, we just don't have a lot of money and we're like spending a third of our budget on flying you out from San Francisco. You know, can you please come on the red eye? And of course, I relented. And whatever. So I go out there, first couple of days of the festival, are really great. And, uh, you know, one night after the show, standing outside at two in the morning, and someone comes up to me and says, are you going to go to the breakfast tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know, what breakfast? And she's like, oh, some people are just going, we're going out for breakfast, 10 o'clock, you know. I'm like, well, you know, I'll see what I'll see what I'm doing. And of we're course, for breakfast at 5 a.m. because it's it's two dollars cheaper. Yeah. The early bird special. <laughs> got to get up and get up before dawn. But uh, yeah, so I you the know, budget. Uh, and you know, and of course, you know, I mean, I wake up and of course I'm going to go to breakfast. And one of these things, you know, I'm playing hard to get it two in the morning. Yeah. I don't know. And, and you know, so I go to the breakfast and I get there and it's and it's the morning of the panel and it what immediately strikes me as weird is. Everyone involved in the panel is there. It seems like it's this very formal breakfast for people on the panel, yet no one really invited me. I mean, the person who said, are you going, was only tangentially related. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Everyone else is here, the panelists, the moderator, the festival directors. I'm like, and I'm like, all right, I can get over that. I can eat my pancakes and not really worry about it too much. And then the moderator of the panel comes up to me and she's like, you know, I, I really hate to say this, but I'm not really familiar with your work at all. Would it be okay if we sat together during breakfast so I can talk to you? And then right there, I'm like, well, wait a second. These people spent a third of their budget, made me take the red eye to ostensibly be on this panel. And the moderator doesn't know my work. And I'm like, that's kind of lame. <laughs> and I'm like, well, but then I'm like, well, at least she had the guts to come up to me beforehand right, and right, admit right, it. Right, right. And, in the middle of the panel. It, yeah. And so I'm asking, like, we had a great talk, at, you know, at breakfast. And so that's cool. So we go so we go over to the panel. She had given her like a bunch of uh, Richard Kern films and said, go watch these. <laughs> uh, you know, these, these are mine. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, you know, so we go to the panel and the panel, it's, it was four filmmakers uh, and a 
journalist. And me and the journalist are going to have problems at some point. scourge of every <laughs> filmmaker's soul. <laughs> and the panel was at noon and it was in a bar, but the bar was closed. I mean, it was just being housed in a bar. And, the, and, and eventually that the bar being closed is going to become a problem for me as well. And the panel is like a 90-minute panel, which is actually for five people on a panel. It's fairly short. Anyway, the panel starts... The moderator starts by introducing the one filmmaker on the panel who is a, you know, a honest to goodness art star. And the moderator goes on, I mean, a five, six minute glowing introduction. I mean, just the most kiss ass, glowing, flowering introduction, the kind of introduction you always hope you're going to get, you know, yeah. when you're on one of these things, but you never do. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of making me sick at some point. It's like, just get on with it. It's obviously you want to sleep with this person. Let's just move on. You know, whatever. <laughs> and then, and then she taught, and then she has that, that filmmaker talk for five or six minutes or more. And then she's like, all right, well, let's let's take a look at one of your films. And she shows a movie for five or six minutes. And then they come back and talk for about the movie for another two or three minutes. And if you've ever been on one of these panels, it's hard to sit there for like 20 or 25 minutes with your thumbs up your butt, not saying anything. And I'm kind of looking at my watch going, okay, there's five of us. And we're like into, you know, minute 20 and no one else has spoken at mm. all. And then right. she introduces the journalist. And she talks about the journalist for five minutes. And then the journalist starts speaking. And at that point, I'm like, oh, this is just getting ridiculous. And then right. the journalist says something that I absolutely disagree with beyond belief. And I mean, not to get into the Super 8 thing too much, but it was, it was something along the lines of because Super 8 was a home movie medium, all films made in Super 8 have to be viewed in the context of being home movies, which is just something that I thought was a ridiculous thing to say. And at that point, I just had enough. And I'm like, you know, I, ha I hate to butt in here, but that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I think I said that. I think I said, like, I couldn't disagree with you more. And I think that's just the kind of thinking that's killed Super 8. And just, you know, I figured, you know, let's just get controversial at this point. Because, oh, yeah, like, yeah. the moderator isn't moderating a panel. It does make for a good panel. Like, yeah. You know, right. And I'm like, and at that point, I mean, similar to Chris's story, there was, like, this, this silence. The... <gasps> You know, you can just hear the gas yeah. in the audience and the moderators, oh, oh, what do you mean? And then the thing that was crazy was everyone in the audience jumped to the journalist's defense. And they were like, he's right. And, and I'm sitting there going, there's one thing I know in this world. It's Super 8 films. And I kind of wanted to do that. All right, how many of you have made 15 Super 8 films in the last 10 years? Raise your hand. But it, it was this weird thing where everyone kind of started attacking me and defending the journalist. I mean, and that was all right. And there was some good discussion kind of going on. But but the moderator just kind of stopped. And she's like, well, let's go back to the journalist. Let's watch the movie he selected. And, you know, uh -huh. so did that. And then we do that. And she kind of comes back to me at that point. And then I realized she was kind of going alphabetically. And, and one, of the things that, <laughs> one of the things at breakfast I asked her, like, am I going to have to prepare something to say? Or are you just going to ask questions? She's like, oh, you don't have to prepare anything. So she she starts introducing me and she and she says something in the introduction that was completely wrong. She said that I had gotten a master's in Super 8 film production at college. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 the kind of thing that I could I could let go if I was on someone's podcast and someone yeah, said that yeah. I could let it go but it's like all right it's a super eight fest you can't insinuate that you can actually get a master's in making super eight. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like well you know I don't mean to correct you but 
you know, that's wrong, you know? <laughs> and then she's like, all right. And then her sort of question to me was like, so what's your deal? I mean, it was the most, you know, uh, you yeah. know, and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so I guess I needed to think of something to say. And then of course I kind of stumbled through some intro and then, you know, I show my film. And again, I've made a lot of films that are kind of these bigger, more real productions. And I've made a lot of films that are these really small off the cuff things. And the film that I was showing was this film called Isaki about uh, Isaki <laughs> And it was yes. just what I had chosen. Yes. And, and of course, like right after the film, some dude in the audience raises his hands like, well, I know you seem to have a problem with uh, viewing Super 8 in the context of home movies, but your film was shot in your house, starred your wife, and starred your uh, pet stuffed animal. I mean, it seems like a home movie, doesn't it? And there was really nothing I could say at that point. I'm like, well, you are, you know, you are right. And so it was, you know, it was just this, um, Horrible man. And about that time, I started demanding drinks. I'm like, could someone get me a vodka tonic? And everybody tittered. Like, oh, that's so funny. I'm like, no, really, could you get me a drink? And then they kind of had to go break into the, the bar and um, start getting drinks. But it was just this moment where you think, think it's going to be great. These people fly out, you know, it's going to be this good time. You, you're oh, you're yeah. doing something you know, and then somehow it all goes um, horribly wrong. And then... And then the great thing is there's this other guy on the panel, this guy by the name of John Porter, who's made like 200 films. And he he was really ornery, which I was really grateful for because at some point it deflected all the anger away from me. And he, when you submit to festivals, back then you submitted on VHS and if your film got in, you would send a print. And he started giving the festival a hard time about, I don't understand, you previewed all this stuff on VHS. This is a Super 8 festival. You should you should be looking at the original prints and the the people in the festival were like uh you know that's just not how it's done and then there's this other guy on the panel ken paul rosenthal who had this um seven super eight projector piece that he then got printed to to 16 all seven screens on the 16 which he showed at the festival and then this john porter guy starts giving ken a hard time like i don't understand you're you're showing 16 millimeter film and ken's like well you know when i do it at home i have seven super eight projectors well you should have done that here and ken's like well, you know, I couldn't bring seven projectors on the plane. Well, you should have asked me. And and Ken's like, I just <laughs> met you an hour ago. <laughs> I mean, it was just, and you know, Ken was dying out there and I'm like, well, yeah, I, you can die because I, you know, I, I normally I'd come to your defense right here, but I was just sitting there kind of drinking at that point. <laughs> and, then, and then after the panel, everyone comes up to me like, that was the best panel I've ever seen. That was really great. Oh, you were so awesome. I'm like, could you not have defended me at some point? You know, I'm glad I could. I could I'm glad I could die on the vine for your entertainment. You know, yeah. but it was just one of those, uh, one yeah. of those kind of days. Yeah, I got flown to Australia one time, and uh, you got flown to Australia. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a couple years ago, and uh, they they brought me over there. I was supposed to. Uh, there was this fashion company that wanted to uh, screen print lines for my palms under their three hundred dollar jeans, and I was like all for it, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, on and the ass. I just like usually down the legs all over, and they had a whole line that were like shirts and everything. It was like it's really awesome. wild stuff. Yeah, and I really liked the, the the samples they sent me, and I still have three pairs of their pants and like two pairs of them are the best fitting jeans I've ever worn. What, in my what life. does it What does it say on the ass of those well, yeah, jeans? Yeah, it, it wouldn't uh, like I, I didn't actually have anything on the butt. It was more like right down. Uh, 
you know, the legs and everything. But I get there in about like about an hour to get there. I had about two years sober or something. And it was actually, they actually had gotten King of the Road Kills. It was right before uh, this. Uh, Down the leg, it said, blanket of lies. No, no, no. No, they had, they had uh, I, I'm, re- I'm reading, I'm reading no, they, from, they, uh, it was from Black Spots. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was from Road Kills, actually. Asphalt they, Matador. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they had, like, a shirt that said Night of Horror at Quickie As I, as I sang karaoke in Japantown, <laughs> you were thrashing about <laughs> on the highway. Jesus. Yeah, he's, one of my dead friend poems to made that really ridicule me, that's great. Um, uh, right now I'm covering a Bucky Sinister poem. Yeah, you know, it, it was one of those things where, like, they, they, you know, they read Roadkill's like this is the Whiskey Robots is written, like uh, it was put together after I got sober. So, uh, you know, they, they, I land there in about like about ten o'clock. They're like, uh, hey, you know, let's go get some drinks. And I'm like, I, I don't drink anymore. And they're like, and like, do you drink beer or wine? I'm like, no. And it was like explaining to like these Aussies that I was like, uh, you know, like sober. It was like explaining to like what a vegan is to someone in the Midwest, right? And, like it just wasn't gonna. They just weren't gonna get it. I was like, no. And they're like, well, like you know, do you, do you smoke pot? Moments. And they're like, no. And then like, like, do you do coke? And uh, I was like, no, I don't. I don't get high at all. And and, and Wait, it was, one of my favorite moments of hanging out with a vegetarian with a, with a friend of vegetarian and a friend who's like trying to understand that. She's like, so do you eat meat? No. <laughs> Do you eat fish? No. Do you eat hot dogs? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, she ran out of things. Like, do you eat hot dogs? <laughs> yeah. But it was it was really bad. I mean, it was a moment I knew that like this whole week was going to go really wrong, and they, they were putting me up in the W Hotel. Like they had like really like they were treating me really nice, That's but so wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and then like they were like, oh my god, he just, just, just give me a, a sleeping bag and point me to an overpass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were like, uh, you know, they, they, like the. Yeah, and everything was kind of going okay until like the uh, the fashion magazine editor, like who was staying in the hotel. So like those sweatsuits that say like pink on the butt and juicy. That's you. You I came mean, up no, with that? No, no, no. These are like these are like the, these are like jeans that like cost like three hundred bucks, and they're made to look really old. I think no. I think those sweatsuits cost three hundred bucks. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, they didn't make sweatsuits, but you know, seventy dollars shirts, three hundred dollars jeans. So what does and it then, have to uh, do with anything? Well, it was just it was just that it was like uh, you know really kind of uh, embarrassing like they were just like thought I was going to come out there and party with them for a week and I wasn't going to do anything and they kind of like you know like there was a fashion editor from from uh from uh LA down there who was just you know doing blow and it was like pretty much a bunch of rich kids who had like started a fashion company so they could uh, meet models and do blow with them that was like the whole point of the company and uh why not and like I was still but they still like decided to like you know I was supposed to like uh you know they were going to the whole like theme of the fashion show for fashion week was king of the road kills that was their theme it was named after my book and it was done it was a whole thing and uh i had like lost so much favor with them but and they still put me up to read on at the show at the end of the week but nobody none of the people from the actual fashion company were in the room while i was reading they all like stayed in another room and doing uh, drugs they were just embarrassed to do yeah, drugs yeah. in front of you. Yeah, yeah. It was just really like that was like it wasn't an exact moment, but it was just like an experience where it was like I I they brought out their party kid and it was not happening and they end up like pulling the whole deal. They end up pulling the whole line. Just because you because wouldn't drink with them? That's right. Oh my god. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was a really 
Like, you know, at first I was like, this is it. This is my big break. I'm just changing my life. I'm going to go, you know, because they're like, you know, if this were, when this, you know, if, if the line sells well, we're going to do like, you're going to have like a pair of jeans and a shirt for you every year from now on. And like, you know, we're going to, we're going to fly out here like once a week, like, you know, once a year, every four weeks. And, and, you know, like, and we're like, like we want to like, and when we open up our, our U.S. office, like, you know, we're going to like, you know, have you. You're going to have a job, CEO. I was going to have a job. I was like, wow, this is going to be great. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. It was wow. That was exactly Are you like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, wait we're, we're digressing to people not on mic. That's bad form. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's move on to Mr. Kepler. Yeah. You know, you guys have been telling all these like um, rather contemporary stories. So, um, so you're gonna take us to the future? I'm gonna take a you future <laughs> embarrassing moment. <laughs> In the year 2010. <laughs> no, actually, right now, no. Um, I, so I'm going to go back to um, to about 1975. All right. <laughs> I was in uh, junior high school at the time. I think I was maybe about, uh, what, how old is junior high school? 15, something like yeah. that? No, no, no. They outlawed junior high by the time I got to junior high. Yeah. No, well, I was 14. I was 14, yeah. 14. Jun- junior high school is 13, 12, 13. This is 14. Greeley, Colorado, which is kind of like a out in the sticks north of Denver, you know, kind of the That's the not plains. even Boulder. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, Boulder, I did not grow up in Boulder. Ah. Um. So you go to an all-age King Missile show, <laughs> and there was this guy. Anyway, I was um. That's a callback. When I was eleven, I had been, uh, uh, I had played Oliver in a in a. I was like a musical theater kind of thespian sure. guy. As a matter of fact, I was the president of the Colorado State Thespian Society when I was <laughs> in high school. Wow. So I was I was kind of like on a early track. Who are who are the great uh, thespians to come out of Colorado? <laughs> I can't think of a single one. <laughs> well, you obviously did a good job. So where was this on the on the social strata? Did like the D and D kids make fun of you? Like what? Like you know, were you worse off than the kids in band? That was that was kind of like we were we were down below band. We were below. We were <laughs> were, below you, were you below was, chess club? No, I was a drama club kid. I know. Though, you know. We were we were above the four H'ers. That was above. <laughs> uh, the people that, having that sex was, with sheeps and stuff. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> but that was you know below the. I mean, we were just one tier up from the very very bottom. And it was maybe about twelve of us. It was the four H people and then the kids with asthma. <laughs> <laughs> The headgear kid. It's like making fun of you. Right. Like, I can't, I can't lower myself. Anyway, so I had been in Oliver, um, a university production. When I was Were you 11. Oliver? I was Oliver. Okay. Wow. Could you, say, of, could you say the famous line, please? Food, glorious. Oh, please, uh, sir, I want some more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I just did. There you go. <laughs> Are you happy? I am. <laughs> wow, you really sold it. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> okay, so anyway. All right, great, come on. Yeah, I'm, please. I was like uh, this 11-year-old ingenue, and I was like kind of at the, pretty much I think it's all been kind of downhill since then. That really, <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like a, a shining beacon, like a shooting star. <laughs> then when I was 14, um, 
I decided, decided to try my hand at like the local um, semi-professional uh, dinner theater. Wow. <laughs> I like Who's... the notion that there's semi-professional <laughs> dinner theater. I, I did it. They had another, they decided to put on Oliver and I thought, well, hey, you know, <laughs> there I am, you know, but this time I was a little too old to actually be. It's kind of weird doing Oliver at dinner theater. Right, um, exactly. Why? Why? It was it, perfect. Well, you know, the whole food thing. Because everyone's and, you know, eating. Oh, food clothes. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. The starving orphans. And yeah, all that. And while you're eating like a, you know, a T-bone or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is one of the things where the actors actually double as the waiters, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd so call a Willie Loman over in the middle of a speech like, <laughs> yeah, I know you're upset about this woman in Boston or whatever, but, uh, you know, could you send the steak back? <laughs> You're not going to make things right with Biff and Happy. Just, you know. <laughs> so in this one, I was not able to be Oliver. Actually, my younger brother played Oliver in this production. And which, I was demoted. Just out of that, would, that would be my brother, Eric. Okay. Isn't this how Baby wow. Jane starts? Okay, we digress. So um, my brother was Oliver, and I got demoted to, to Fagin's Gang. I don't know if you guys know the musical. Oh, but yeah, like, no, like, I've, like, I've been in it. I was a pickpocket. Like. <laughs> I was in it in high school. So there's like Fagin's Gang, There's and there's... And I was one of these kind of pickpocket dudes. And then there's the artful Dodger, who's like, you know, mm-hmm. Fagan's main, like, henchman. Anyway, uh, w- there was one performance in particular where I started noticing that that, that um, the artful Dodger was, the guy who was playing the artful Dodger, I forget his name, but um, he was starting to turn noticeably green <laughs> about, like, halfway through, like, maybe the brisket or something. I don't know. But... <laughs> We're back, back, backstage in the intermission, and there was there was a sudden flurry of panic because the uh, artful Dodger was passed out in like, passed out <laughs> in, immediately. In it's uh, yes, he's gone in, to slaw. He passed out in his gruel, and um, and he was like he was on the sofa, and he was done basically. Wow. And and there was this big panic, and they had to find what somebody. What was wrong with him? He he had he had food poisoning. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> and, that, and when you're doing dinner theater, you really don't want to know that your audience might all start vomiting at some point. <laughs> so they, they, there was a mad scramble, and of course, they settled on me because I, I was, you know, had all this quote-unquote experience. So <laughs> oh. I, I, and I was the oldest. I was kind of like one of these kind of a little, little too old, really, even to be in this this production. Um, at, at how wait, how role. old were you? Fourteen. I was fourteen, <laughs> really, and then most of the kids were like like twelve, eleven, twelve. 13. I, I like the notion of going to dinner theater, a classy night out, and then being entertained by fourteen year olds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't no, that something I'm you sorry. try to avoid? Well, the, yeah. the older the. I'm the the gang. I'm talking. About oh, right, the gang, the Oliver, not, right? Because Oliver is a young. No, kid. the roles were mostly college coeds. Oh, okay. Which was actually my main motivation at, to be uh, in this thing in the first place because I was college coils. Basically, yeah. yeah. I spent most <laughs> yeah, most spit, of my time in their lap. Yeah, spent some fourteen year old game at him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Atari and in television at home. <laughs> so they they settled on me. I had to be. I I was. There was this mad scramble. They they. Managed to get the guy's costume off and and put it on me and puke on it. And, he, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know the lines, you know, I don't know, I don't know anything. Like, am I supposed to do this? You'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'll, like, I'll be in the, uh, the director was like, Jerry, fill up their wine glasses again. <laughs> Complimentary. We're gonna need it. 
the director says, okay, I'm going to be, there's like this, there's a, it's a theater and around, but there was this kind of like this corridor on the, on the main level, on the ground level that, that goes into the stage. And he says, I'll be there with the script, you know, and, and I'll just like feeding, feed, me, the feeding me the lines ah, you know? and, I'll, and help, you know, like, and I, how am I going to, how do I know where to go? I didn't know the blocking or anything. <laughs> right, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> and he said, I'll point, I'll point, you know. <laughs> This isn't gonna end good. <laughs> so anyway, I, I get out there and and you know the they roll roll the cart away the, the roast beef. You know. <laughs> Fortunately, there were I think the character had maybe about seven lines total in in the second act, and most most of the main artful dodger action action was happens in the first act of, of that musical. But there was enough that that I was in mortal terror basically, and there was a lot of blocking. You know, mm-hmm. so basically there's a um, lot of artful dodging. There was, yeah. <laughs> to be done, and I. It, it's been so long. I, I don't remember <laughs> the um, the details of, of like what exactly happened. All I remember is <laughs> That's a, is yeah, being in a, in a blind terror and and kind of like trotting out, you know, onto the set. And and the guy was the guy was back there, and he goes go like go like. <laughs> the director was pointing, and so like I would just go over here, you know, and stand over there, and like. I, I would try to like do like they had like you know he had dance moves and all right, that and I, was, yeah, yeah. I was trying to like do, do the hustles do these dance moves and I was like muddling them them badly you know I, I didn't I was not I was a horrible dancer actually but <laughs> and I, I I basically blanked out and wasn't even able to to say my lines um, oh and okay. and like you know it was one of those things where the person next to me was going. <laughs> Elbowing me in the side, you know, like, come on, that's your line. Like, I, I was, I was, I just froze. I, I lost my ability to to say anything, and and so they just the whole basically the entire second half of the show was was kind of a muff um, as a result of of that that whole um, fiasco. And I guess you weren't hired back. I was, no, no. <laughs> okay. Did, that they, was, did any of the co-eds take you into their arms that night as a result of your... No. No. no, no. <laughs> I didn't get any fringe like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been kind of impossible to have as much gauze of, as a 14-year-old to pull this off, but it would have been great if you could have, like, improved your own show. It's like, well, like you said, they don't know the lines anyway. I'm going to make them all about me and just start talking all the time and just interrupting everyone. <laughs> well, that's and start, that's like, your style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> start kissing the co-eds, you know, like... like you know, I, I you know just right in the middle of play, like just turn around to the, Aren't the girl we doing you like Greece? the most. And, yeah, you go, Dickens, I, I've always yeah, loved you. <laughs> I've always loved you. Come here, baby. <laughs> well, Bucky, I wish. I mean, I wish I'd had. Looking back, that's really what I should have done. I, <laughs> yeah, I should, yeah. The wherewithal. Well, fantastic. Four, five, fantabulous stories. Of, of, sh- uh, of shame, humiliation, kind of embarrassment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he got an extra one, too. He, he said a couple yeah, yeah. minor ones in there, too. Right? Oh, no, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, no the, the Australian yeah, one. Yeah, Australian oh, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Australian story. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that... I, yeah. There, there, there's so many. There's so many. Like, <laughs> you know, like, drunk and sober. It's just like one of those things <laughs> that, like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, oh, I was really drunk and I did this. And then there's just a lot of, like, nah, I'm just kind of dumb sometimes. And, Take chances I shouldn't, and, and there it goes. Comes back and bites me in the ass. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. Shit. Either you're too drunk or you're too sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's exactly. no happy ground. Nah, there's not. And on that fine note, we will call it a day. All right, this is Danny Plotnick, and you've been listening to the Nest of Vipers podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to dig deeper. 
check out our YouTube page at youtube.com backslash Nest of Vipers podcast, where you can see clips that relate to the cultural references mentioned in the show. Also, if you'd like to leave us a comment, please visit our MySpace page at myspace.com backslash Nest of Vipers podcast. And as always, Nest of Vipers is distributed by KQED Interactive.